You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity, with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Musk Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to all of those people who lived well, who died well, and bring all that is good and true and beautiful in that legacy that we can draw on so that we can learn from those who have gone before us. I call out to these ancestors that would help us to meet the challenges of our time because they were the ones who met the challenges of their own time. And I ask them to help us to do what must be done in our time for those who are coming and to stand strong and true with us and help us to recognize that energy that unites us all here as one human family on the planet. And I invite everyone to reach beyond those human ancestors who have come to help us to do what must be done to support the living in being the unique medicine they are called to be in their time, to reach beyond these humans to the even older ancestors. We call out to all of life that was here long before anyone dreamt of a human. And I call out to these ancestors that stand with us as well in the great fabric of life here on earth. And I ask them to help us to remember our own true nature, to surrender that which we think too much about and drop into feeling, to knowing who we are and what we are here to do from that felt sense of our true place in this great fabric of the universe. And may these other ancestors, these non-human ancestors, help us to remember how to be the blessing that human beings were meant to be for all of life. And so as we call out to these ancestors, human and non-human, and we draw them in, let us take a moment and gather ourselves. Let's draw ourselves from wherever we are into our mind, and from our mind down to our heart, from our heart down to our belly, and then take a moment focusing on this one task and offer your gratitude down to the earth to give thanks for your life, thanks for this day and whatever it holds for you, to give thanks for all that has been that has brought you to this moment in your life, that whole long journey, all those gifts you have unfolded and brought into your life and those things that have arrived in your life you've not yet figured out how to find the gift within them. Nonetheless, we give thanks in this moment for all of it. We give thanks for all that is in this moment and thanks for all that will be. And we give gratitude to the energy of the earth for beauty, for diversity, and for the great generosity in her dream of life that allows us to change anything as long as we are still breathing. And with this gratitude to the earth pouring out of our hearts, let's reach our energy down through all the layers of the earth, allowing our gratitude to touch each layer as we reach down and down and down to the very center of the earth 
and strongly connect our intention to be grounded here in our bodies in this day on this planet there in the center of the earth and then let's take a moment and open ourselves to this energy this energy that draws its strength from darkness that draws its power from stillness from silence from peace let us reach into this energy that is before the abundance, before the diversity, before the beauty, that which nourishes and sustains it all. Let us reach into this energy as we reach into fresh water on a hot day and draw this energy up, up through all the layers of the earth, into our bodies, into our day, into these proceedings. And as we draw the energy of the earth up, let us help, let us use that energy to help us to understand who we are, where we stand, what we stand for, and what gives life heart and meaning. And may we build our sense of home and belonging from that which truly has heart and meaning, not just habit, not just tradition but that which resonates today with heart and meaning and allows us to strongly connect to each other and at the same time to open our door to those who are different than we are, to set a place at our table from those who think thoughts we've never thought before. And let us open ourselves to these that are different, that we might be provoked through that conversation to become the men and women we were really truly meant to be. And as we learn from the earth how to connect, how to be interconnected, how to reach out and draw in, let us come into right relationship with ourself, right relationship with our environment, right relationship with the invisible world, right relationship with each other. And as we draw on the energy of the earth, let us take a moment in this day to reach out and imagine ourself in that great fabric of life, that great web, and to take our sense of right relationship from our place in this great oneness. And with this feeling of oneness resonating within us, let us draw our energy up from our belly to our heart and our heart to our mind and reach up and out through the sky. Whatever weather it holds for you, reach out through it. Allow it to touch you and you to touch it as you reach out through the atmosphere, out into the cosmos and allow yourself to caress and be caressed by the heavenly bodies and the mysteries of our universe. And as you reach all the way to the highest power of the universe by whatever name you call it, in whatever way you understand it, reach all the way to this energy, see yourself in it and it in you and to begin to draw down the radiant energies from above. To draw these divine energies into yourself, into your day, draw them into these proceedings and in this way we call in the essence energy of blessing into our lives and into the lives of others that we touch we call down this energy to bring in the energy of protection to draw it into ourselves and to share it with others we call these energies in that we might know commitment and devotion and open up to the benevolence of our universe we call these energies in for inspiration and illumination to help us to see that light in the dark. And we open up ourselves to the great beneficence of our universe. We call these energies in from our head to our heart 
to our belly and send it back down to the center of the earth. And in this way, we become that conduit, that connection between heaven and earth, earth and sky. And we let these two great legendary lovers come together within us in that big love that is the stuff of legend. And may that big love awaken the spirit of your own heart. And as your heart comes awake and alive with this day, with your intention, with your conscious awareness, let the heart awaken that crucible of transformation that lives in the heart and draw up the fiery passions of your belly that carry the resonance of why you are here. We draw down the crystal clarity of the mind that can help you to understand how will you be the person you have come to be in your time. We draw these energies together in the heart and let them dance together strong and true, so different in their dynamic relationship. And let that tension give birth the third and most sacred thing that you carry, which is some sense, some memory, some understanding of why you are here. And may you find courage in that very same human heart to do something in this day to bring those gifts to the world, large or small. Remember that your gifts are here for you to make manifest in the world. And I give enormous gratitude to all of the spirit help that we each have in those endeavors, known or unknown, it is there. And I give great, great gratitude for that spirit help in its many forms. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard. And may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. I'd also like to give thanks to these particular living things, to Emily and Lisa and Tracy, Maria, Kelly, Jane, Karen, and Bridget. These are all radio show listeners who have been able to donate financially to Why Shamanism Now for those of you who are listening for the first time. Why Shamanism Now is listener supported. It exists on the air and has for eight years for one reason, because listeners like you who have been able to donate large and small amounts in any currency uh, from any country, we are happy to receive it all because this is what keeps the show on the air. The archives, which now include up to almost 400 hours of podcasts about the practical application of shamanism in our contemporary lives around this beautiful globe. So I give thanks to all of you that are helping us to do that financially. If you would like to join that group, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com, donate any amount, large or small, uh, from the support button. And if you're uncomfortable doing such things online, you're welcome to email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org, and I would be happy to send you a regular address for a regular check. And I also want to give thanks to those of you who have found wonderful and creative ways to support the show that are not necessarily financial. And for those of you that use the teachings in your life, for those of you that challenge the teachings and come up with questions and keep these things alive in our world today so that we have more uh, ideas for shows, more ways to reach out to each other and more ways to share how it is that we can be shamanic people in our contemporary world. So to help us with that, uh, we have a guest today. Uh, today's topic is Encounters with Power, and our guest is Jose Luis Stevens. Thank you for being with us today, Jose. Oh, it's my pleasure. So everybody, we are live today, so if you do have questions about today's topic, you're welcome to call in at 512-772-1938, or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site, or you can always email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. 
Um, for those of you who do not know, Jose is an international lecturer, a corporate team builder, an organizational coach, consultant, and trainer. He is a psychologist, a licensed clinical social worker, and the author of numerous articles and more than 20 books, including Praying with Power and The Secrets of Shamanism, which are two books that I have on my reading list for my students. Um, his new book, which we'll talk about today, is Encounters with Power, Adventures and Misadventures on the Shamanic Path of Healing. Jose is a co-editor for a Journal of Contemporary Shamanism and um, a board member of the Society of Shamanic Practitioners. He is the founder with his wife, Lena, of the Power Path School of Shamanism and the Center for Shamanic Education and Exchange, a nonprofit organization dedicated to educating youth in indigenous cultures. Um, so Jose himself has com completed um, much training and apprenticeship with um, indigenous people around the world, the Wuchol of Mexico, Shipibo in the Amazon, and the Pacos of the Andes in particular over the last 30 years. And so this book is um, made richer, I think, personally, by the fact that Jose is drawing on stories from um, this, this great variety and, and rich diversity in his experience. So if you'd like to email Jose, you can um, email admin at thepowerpath.com. Uh, the website is also thepowerpath.com. Um, or you can find out more information simply about Jose and his own writing and, and uh, books, etc. at josestevens.com. Okay. So, onward. Um, so... Let's start out, Jose, um, just because I, um, you know, we're all contemporary people doing this, and, and for most of us, well, you've had the, the honor, really, of practicing with people who have been doing this for more than one generation, but for many of us, we haven't even been doing this for a generation, right? So we're all kind of babies here on the path. Um, so what I think is often a really interesting question is, so for you, what was in 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 retrospect what was the pivotal moment that moved you permanently from being a fine upstanding respectable psychologist <laughs> here in the western <laughs> world to someone who would would spend so much of his adult life deeply studying shamanism in far off places so if you look back what was really the pivotal moment that turned you? Well, it, it was actually um, probably before I even became a psychologist. It was actually when I was a, a little kid, and uh, I, uh, my, my, my mother is, uh, was born in Mexico. She's a Mexican citizen. And my grandmother, who, on her mother, lived with us when I was a child, and she took care of me and helped, helped to raise me. And she was brought up in uh, Chihuahua, Mexico, uh, in a wealthy family. They had a hacienda, and they had a lot of servants, and the servants were um, mostly Indian. Uh, they were Huichols and Tarahumara Indians and people in that locale. And um, they, they uh, raised her, because in wealthy families, the servants usually raised the kids. So... Um, 
she learned a tremendous amount about their practices and their teachings, and uh, there were curanderos, curanderas, and um, so I spent many hours as a child listening to her stories about these Indian people and what they could do and their practices, and she had learned some of them herself. So um, I was tremendously intrigued by that. You, could, you can imagine being a little kid listening to these stories, you know, caught my imagination. It, it seemed incredibly romantic at the time, you know. And, uh, of course, when my mother would come home from work, she would say, oh, you know, don't pay attention to your grandmother. You know, she's kind of crazy. <laughs> and I didn't think she was crazy at all. I thought she was, like, uh, brilliant, you know. Mm-hmm. And so then I went off, and I had a conventional education, Catholic education, and um, but but it never really quite left me this whole business of that there were these people out there that could do these amazing things, could heal people, and just come from a very different mindset. I, I never actually forgot that, but it just didn't quite bridge to the education I was receiving. And uh, so eventually, when I got to uh, graduate school, uh, when I was actually doing my doctorate in psychology. I went to CIIS in San Francisco, which had a really innovative program at that time, and they had some anthropologists on the faculty, and they had some courses uh, related to shamanism, and boy, when I when I went there and started taking those courses, the whole thing came back to me in spades, and I just embraced it, and uh, that was really it for me, that from then on, um, I was... <laughs> you know, on the shamanic path uh, full time. You were, you were just <laughs> passing as a normal guy after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. Um, well, I'm really happy that you've joined me today because you probably don't really know this, but I actually um, have been trying to work with you since the 90s. <laughs> And here we are 30 years later, and you're finally on my show, so I really appreciate it. Um, and, and it really stemmed from your writing about your work. And I was um, trying to research for the Encyclopedia of Shamanism, and I was really new into my own – really, really new just in the first years of my own practice and kind of lost without any teachers – and um, I had just gotten deep enough into the research for the encyclopedia to realize that most of the research was really terrible. <laughs> right, and here I was stuck with this task of writing this encyclopedia of shamanism based on the, what was written. I mean, it wasn't there. It wasn't a project that had the money to go out and do the research. It was meant to just do a survey of the research that had been done and compile it into a true encyclopedia format, you know, A to Z. Sure. And um, you know, and I just realized how how few people were getting it but I was so new in my practice I didn't have a lot of confidence in the understanding that I had because it was really coming kind of from the inside out and really honestly at that point in time in my life I didn't understand the degree to which I was being ridden by spirit you know I mean I really didn't know yet I was pretty clueless and so anyway so there was an article that you wrote that was published in Shaman's Drum that of course, used to be published back in those days, and um, 
it was an article about working I don't remember who you were working with but it was someone you were an ayahuasquero or vegetalista I can't remember I can't remember which but there was a part where you asked some really really heavy hitter shaman came to do uh, do the plant diet and work under the guidance of this particular guy you were there working with and you yeah. asked why would this guy come and do this you know, like isn't he like a big enough shaman to do this himself kind of question and the answer was so deeply insightful about the relationship between human beings and the shadow and their psychology and shamanism and the fact that in shamanism we're working with interpretations of non-ordinary reality and it's always an interpretation you know there's no ultimate yeah. truths and what he said very simply was it doesn't matter basically in in paraphrasing it doesn't matter how evolved you are as a practitioner when you are entering into new territory you always have the potential of your shadow coming up always and that yeah. this and that a, a deep a true practitioner knows to put himself in the company of a trusted other to get the reflection back to know is this coming up you know legitimate spirit energy is this my own stuff coming up you know to help the person discern and that uh, what you were saying in the article was that your teacher was teaching you that as you grow more developed as a practitioner, you would only grow to respect this more fully versus sort of grow out of the need for help. And I have to tell you, you were the first person writing about shamanism to, to write that so honestly and so clearly and frankly still one of the few. I mean, I can't tell you how many things I have read where people talk about, you know, getting to the point where I don't have to journey anymore, I don't have to do this anymore, I don't have to do that anymore, which to me just sounds so much like contemporary folly, basically. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I read that and I just, um, not only did I, you know, use a lot of your writing in the encyclopedia, but I just, I, I wanted then to, after that, you know, I wanted to travel with you um, to, to, the, to South America. But I think that might have right been at a time in your life when you were transitioning from South America to somewhere else. I don't know. But anyway, it never worked out. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. But I, but, it, but there's and there's a lot of crossover in the um, in the uh, what am I trying to say? Like the sources of what have inspired us along the way, and so I've always felt a great deal of um, simpatico with your work, and I, I really appreciate your you, uh, you and Lena your work out in the world. I think it's a, oh, a breath of fresh air. <laughs> So, yeah. Anyway, so back to you. So back to you. Um, this book, everybody, this book is really wonderful in, in from the perspective that it is a book of stories. And it's not a book of the genre of shamanic writing, which is my groovy experiences with Shaman Bob and what makes me so special because of that, which is a genre of shamanic <laughs> book I'm so tired of. This is really um, – 
you know, different stories, again, from, from different teachers, different experiences, different people uh, with Jose. And um, it really talks about this vast range of, as the book is titled, Encounters with Power. And I can't think of a better time for Americans to be reading such a book as we are so profoundly misguided at the moment around our understanding of power. Um, but with that aside, Jose, what inspired you to write this book at this time? Well, I first of all, I was tired of the style that I had been writing in, which is more, you know, um, well, nonfiction anyway, or not, or not storytelling, I should say. It mm -hmm. was just more mm -hmm. academic. And I, I really, I just felt this huge uh, urge to write something personal, to, to really dig in and, you know, tell these stories. Um, I love telling these stories to my students. And, um, you know, of course, my, <laughs> my wife, Lena, was getting kind of tired of hearing these stories. Right. And, I, I, you know, I realized that it, I, I just wanted to put them out there in the world where, where they could be read by anybody. And, and so it was a very emotional thing, actually. And I found it extremely cathartic and healing. Um, to actually do it. I, the whole process took me about five years. The actual writing of the book didn't take anywhere like that, it, it, but, it, but the whole process of, like, there would be months that would go by where I would take a break from it. And, but, you know, it was over about a five-year period, and, and it was um, so refreshing to me to just, to just uh, be a person, to, be, you know, not have to be some kind of expert or knowledgeable this or that and just to be myself really and and uh you know reveal these stories which do have a, a lot of lessons in them and and there are a lot of teachings in them but they're more uh i guess indirect and um uh that that was really the motivation for me to write the story to write the stories down i just felt like they had a lot of value to, to be shared so as you've been teaching, um, what have you come to understand about the power of, of stories and the storyteller? Well, um, you know, I've always been a great fan of stories. After all, I was born and raised in Hollywood. My dad was a, in the entertainment industry. He was a lighting person. So I, I grew up really in that industry. And, you know, films are all about storytelling. And so I've always really appreciated a good story, you know, and told well, no matter how, what the expression of it, whether it's a book or, I'm, I remember going down to the library when I was a kid on my bicycle and I had one of those little baskets on my handlebars. And I would go down to the library and I'd come back with this huge mound of, of books that I would strap on. And I would do that like every few days. And, uh, you know, there were just, I just couldn't get enough stories. And then, of course, I had my grandmother telling me stories. And um, and then I started telling stories. And then my students would love it when I told the story. So, you know, obviously storytelling is uh, it's one of the most ancient human endeavors. It, it, it goes back, you know, to our most earliest roots. Uh, you know, when we sat around in caves telling each other stories. Or embellishing the you know story about the the hunt or um, 
so it's a very, very ancient human activity, and I can see why it's been so resilient and it's lasted so long and it's turned into this huge um, industry, which includes books and films and all that. I, I can understand why, because it's so powerful, it's ancient, it's very, very entertaining. I learn more from stories than anything else. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, I... I Join the ranks, you know, just, hey, why not become a storyteller, too? And, it, of course, we know that it's a very, very big part of the shamanic tradition, is teaching through stories. And all, yeah. all shamans from all over the world, uh, you know, are good storytellers. That's what I've discovered everywhere I've been and all the shamans I've met. All of them really, really, I just love to listen to their stories. Well, and they... Um... I mean, I find with a lot of shamanic, I don't know, ideas, I don't even know what to call it, shamanic concepts, you kind of have to teach through a story because it's not black and white. It's not uh, this or that or two plus two doesn't always equal four. So, <laughs> Absolutely. And, you, you know, of course, you kind of need a, a story. The, yeah. Go, go ahead. I was just going to say, so So these stories in particular are about power. So when you, when you talk about power at this stage of your life, um, what does that mean to you, power? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, power conventionally, we usually think of it as somebody that has influence, somebody has status, somebody that has... Uh, the ability to man manipulate and control other people um, in, in good ways and in not-so-good ways. Um, but, you know, after really evaluating this business of power and having worked with quite a few shamans um, in their indigenous cultures, uh, of course, these people often are illiterate. They don't have any material wealth whatsoever. They often don't have any education of a conventional kind. And yet, these are some of the most powerful people I've ever met in my life. And so in, in really looking at the, what is this power that they have that's different from what our conventional sense is, is that I finally determined that power is something that cannot be taken away from you. So, you know, everything that people base their, their sense of power on, like money, material goods, status, reputation, all those things can be taken away from you in a twinkling of an eye. And then what have you got? You, you, you've got nothing. But what can't be taken away from you is your experience and your knowledge and uh, the things that shamans cultivate. And so I finally determined that, that that's power. That's power. That, that, you, you know, you can't take that away from someone. And they, and in my point of view, you you take it with you. So I, I tend to believe that you take it with you and you accrue it from life to life to life. And so it only builds and becomes greater. And the more experienced we become, the more powerful we become as well. And that can never yeah. be taken away. Yeah, and, and there's something you said really beautifully in the book. I'm flipping wildly through the book trying to find it. But something you were talking about power um, very much from the perspective of 
that it's it's essentially a neutral thing which you can then you personally with your intention can spin one way or another yeah power people think that we have these ideas you know you've probably heard the phrase uh, 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 power uh, corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely yeah you know, you know we have and so that makes us kind of paranoid about power it's like whoa, whoa a power could you know could destroy mm-hmm. me could it could corrupt me you know and uh, I better be careful about it maybe I shouldn't have any at all and so I found, I found that many many of my students have, are, when they first start working with me they're very very afraid of power they're afraid of their own power they they're very skeptical about it and they've been you know uh, programmed to feel afraid of it and and yet um, power it's just like anything it's like air it's like the, the water that we drink um, it, it essentially is a resource power is an energy it flows through the universe and we can choose to ignore it or we can choose to to uh, absorb it and um, accumulate power. We never really own power. That's what I like to tell people. We don't own it. It's not like a commodity, like wealth or something. It's it's something that passes through us if we cultivate the proper um, channels for it. It will flow through us, and then we can use it uh, the way we see fit. And, of course, if we have integrity then the, the power will be used for wonderful things. And um, I, all of us are accumulating power at all times. That's, that's, plants do that, animals do that, even minerals do that. They're, they're on a, an evol, evolutionary course. We all are. And we will not be able to evolve unless we learn to deal with power. You, you, if if you if you cultivate power then you're going to learn some hard lessons sometimes we make mistakes with it but that's the way we learn so if you try to avoid it then you're just putting things off because you're going to have to deal with it sooner or later because we're evolving so might as well get to it might as well make your mistakes early and and learn something and then, you know, begin to use it well. It's like, you know, anything. It's like a, an athlete developing into a, a master a master athlete. It takes a lot of miles. <laughs> and pain. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, that's why I love the fact that your book is The Adventures and the Misadventures. You know, I, I tried to read The Misadventures first because it just helps me realize I'm not the only person learning everything the hardest way possible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, so within this, within this understanding of power, um, there's often in the book you make the statement of, you know, when making a bid for power. And um, I think that I think that there is an aspect of that in shamanism that can, as you've been just been discussing, can get misunderstood or or fits easily into the contemporary Westerners um, ego niche. <laughs> Like, ooh, I get yeah. to make a bid for more power without really recognizing 
what that means in a shamanic context. So how, how would you describe kind of making a bid for power from, from that shamanic perspective? Well, okay, let, let me lead into it by just saying that um, any, anything where a risk is involved and, and we step forward to take on more responsibility as a bid for power. So let's say uh, you decide to have a child or let's say you decide to get married, or let's say you decide to go for a promotion at work. Those are all bids for power, because you're, you're looking to assume more responsibility, and it's going to take work, and it's, there's a risk involved. There's a mystery. There's something we don't know. We don't know what it is to have that child until we actually have it. Or we don't know how this marriage is going to go until we're actually in it and dealing with it. So in the same way, on the shamanic path, what First of all, when we turn toward the shamanic path, that in itself is a bid for power. And we, we say we look for a teacher, say we, um, we begin a search uh, by looking within or by going out on, um, into nature for, and, and being alone in nature. Uh, there's a mystery involved in that. There's a, there's a risk involved in that. It's a little scary. And, and yet it's, it's, it's assuming it's taking more responsibility for oneself okay so that's a bid for power and the bid for power is going the minute that you bid for more power you are going to initiate a series of tests challenges and initiations to see whether you're ready or not and so it's a good idea to look and see if you're ready before you bid for that power. Like a lot of people, they throw their hat into the ring politically or they, they you know, go for a big job promotion, and they're just not ready. And they may be not ready physically. They may be not ready emotionally. They may be not ready psychologically. Uh, there's so many different ways that you have to be ready. And if you're not ready, you fall flat on your face. And then you learn something valuable, too. You learn what not to do. So and any way you look at it, we're going to learn. But if you want to avoid the huge suffering involved in falling flat on your face, then it's good to assess, am I ready for this? Am I ready to have uh, this new promotion at work? Am I ready to have my own home? Am I ready to embark on the shamanic path? And if I am on the shamanic path, then what am I ready to do next? You know, am I ready to do a six-month solo walkabout out in the desert, or am I ready to do a 24-hour solo out in the woods? You know, those are two very, very different things with different levels of learning and responsibility. So you have to start humble. You have to start small. You have to take baby steps. And then little by little, those baby steps add up to something pretty big. And then you can start taking on the, the bigger challenges. So, so um, uh, that, that's a, a part of the discussion about bidding for power. And by the way, when you bid for power, I alluded to this, there's always a price that you're going to have to pay. There's no free lunch. You know, if you're going to uh, take a risk, if you're going to take a step out there, there's a price to pay. And the price is sometimes a more investment of your time or an investment of energy. Those are prices. But, but the biggest price of all 
is that you're going to have to pay with your own comfort. You're, you're not going to be comfortable. This is going to involve, you know, when somebody decides to start a family, boy, are they, are they going to be uncomfortable? They're not going <laughs> to sleep at night sometimes. They're, they're embarking on something that is like definitely going to push them past their comfort zone. In the same way, shamanically, you're going to definitely be pushed beyond your comfort zone. In fact, you're going to be confronted with some of your deepest terrors because all of us have our little security blankets and we all, we all like to be comfortable and in our little, you know, uh, overstuffed chair, watching TV, it's very safe, you know, eating our ice cream. Um, and, and that's not, not what the shamanic path is about. It, it's about risk. It's about being extremely vulnerable. It's about appearing stupid sometimes in the face of not knowing stuff. And there's an infinite number of discomforts that I could name here, but <laughs> you get the idea, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you yeah. know. Well, and what's interesting is I, th- I think this is a really important point, particularly in our in our in our exact current time, which is where, you know, like when you and I were kids and we listened to the radio, we heard songs we liked about what, maybe every fifth or sixth song was a song that we liked, but we, if you wanted to listen to the radio, you had to listen to songs you didn't like. But now everybody gets to set, not only pick their own station that only plays the type of music that they like, but now they can set their preferences so that they only hear songs that are like songs they already like. And so, you know, in teaching, it's gone from the challenge of trying to move people out of their comfort zone into their discomfort zone, right, where change can really finally happen. But now you can't even get people out of their preference zone into their comfort. It's just it's getting worse. Well, it you're right that the, the 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 danger with that is that if you're never exposed to new things you don't learn to like them you know there's been there's been things like when i first heard the blues i didn't like it at all but then after listening to the blues for a while i i started to really like it but it took it it was a taste acquired mm-hmm. and and so these days you don't have to necessarily uh you know, put the time in to acquire the taste. Right. And if you want to be a person of power, it isn't going to happen in your comfort zone. And it certainly isn't going to happen in your preference zone. I mean, you really have to be willing to expand yourself beyond where you already know how to do what you're doing and do it well. It's, there's no way around that. It's just the nature of our human existence here on earth. As you've been talking about making a bid for power though, has there been a little story you might share with us about your own bids for power kind of there in the back of your mind that you might want to share? We've got some time if you want to share, take five minutes, 10 minutes and share a story. Uh, yeah, there's a, um, uh, I'm thinking of the story of uh, when um, it came time to complete my uh, 10-year apprenticeship with uh, my Weechal teacher, Guadalupe. And um, my wife, Lena, and I were pre- apprenticing with him. And uh, uh, what happened was that because he had, as a young man, he had worked in the tobacco fields, which many Weechals do, Many Weechals um, uh, 
get end up with cancer because they're they're working in the can in the uh, tobacco fields and there's a lot of uh, you know poisons and pesticides and things like that. So he, my teacher got ill and he he ended up with cancer and uh, so he was dying. He had bone cancer and uh, uh, it was it was uh, we hadn't quite finished with him and he said okay. Um, so we went down to Mexico to visit him. Uh, and he was very ill, and he said, um, well, uh, you know, you have one more ceremony to do with me. But he said, but, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, well, I, then we said, how are we going to do it with you because you're really ill and all that, and it's, it doesn't look like you're getting better. And he said, uh, don't worry, no matter what happens to me, I'll, I will meet you there at the last ceremony. And so... You know, we didn't know exactly what that meant, and he gave us instructions of what to do. And so a couple months later, he, he passed away, and we were devastated. Um, but we had this one last ceremony to do in down deep in Mexico in the sacred lands where the Huichols do their ceremonies called Huiricuta. And we went down there, and we went to the, the area that we had done ceremony with him before, and it was kind of strange. I'm not going to go into the whole story with all the details, because that's in the book. But there were some things that were a little strange about the, you know, getting out there. And, um, but we ended up there, and, and we, uh, we were sad because he wasn't there, and we were by ourselves. And we went out and uh, set the ceremonial container up in the altar, and we created a little fire, and we had gone and searched for some peyote and we collected that because that was part of the ceremony and um the darkness fell and lit the fire and the winds were up and it was kind of cold and Lena covered herself in a blanket and um i just sat by the fire and um uh a couple of hours went by when all of a sudden i heard my vo- my name called and i i, I looked up and I could see uh, Guadalupe standing in front of me on the other side of the fire, except that he was kind of transparent and I could see right through him, but he was definitely there and he was calling to me. And I went over to him and, and I said, wow, you you really came, you're here. And he said, yeah, of course I'm here. I told you I was going to be here. And uh, he said, I have some things to tell you since this is our last ceremony. Um, and so I, he sat me down by the fire, and he began to tell me, you know, all the ways that I was, uh, you know, uh, all the ways that I had failed, that I was um, inadequate, that I was undisciplined. You know, he was reading me the riot act up and down. It was really hard to listen to, really painful, but... He was absolutely right on the money with everything mm-hmm. he said. Talk about discomfort. Whoa, mm-hmm. it's like getting a dressing down, you know. And then he came to the end of that, and he said, now I want to tell you some other things. And he began to tell me all the things that I was, the, the things I did really well and why I would be very successful in what I wanted to do on the shamanic path and uh, it was the exact opposite of what he had told me first, and I, I was, I was overwhelmed. I, I remember sitting there by the fire crying, and it was 
just a very, very overwhelming and emotional uh, experience. And then um, he said, well, uh, hours had gone by, hours. And he said, well, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be seeing you. So he, he kind of disappeared. And I sat by the fire just stunned at what had happened. And I eventually got up and I went over to Lena, who was still under her blanket. This was many hours later. Dawn was coming. And I shook her and said, uh, are you, you know, are you okay? And she said, yeah, I, I've been talking to Guadalupe. And I, um, I was, I said, well, I, but I've been talking to Guadalupe. I've been, you know, the last couple of hours, that's all I've been doing. And she said, well, that's all I've been doing too. And so I realized he was talking to us each both at the same time, but about different things. And that was also amazing. And then um, it was dawn, and we did some ceremonial things that we were supposed to do uh, to complete that piece of the ceremony. And then it was time for us to go back to the little village, which was seven miles away. And we had arranged to be picked up with an ancient pickup truck that they always used to take us out to the desert with and bring us back. And the we waited for the truck, and we, we'd run out of water, and we'd run out of, you know, any snacks or oranges or food, and it was getting quite hot out there in the desert, and the, the pickup truck never came, and we finally had to start walking, and um, we'd been up all night, and uh, no food and water, and and we were trudging down the road, and we realized we have to. We might have to walk all the way back to the village, seven miles in the desert in the hot sun. And um, uh, I was kind of feeling sorry for myself, as I am prone to do in situations like that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, I, I looked up and I saw that he was walking slightly ahead of me on on this trail. And I, I ran and caught up with him, and I said. Oh, you're here again. And he said, um, yeah, you know, we just walk. <laughs> I, I just started laughing and I realized, oh, this, we're, this is still part of the initiation. This is still part of the challenge. This is the last ceremony. And so, of course, we got to walk. You can't ride in a pickup truck. This is part of it, walking in the hot sun with nothing to eat and nothing to drink. That's, you know, that that's a test. And so I laughed, and he laughed too. And Lena was there, and she, you know, joined us. And, and we walked all the way back to the village, back to this little cafe where um, we knew the people. And we walked in there, and we looked pretty bedraggled by then, covered with sweat and dust. And uh, the old woman said, uh, oh... Um, did you walk all the way back? And we said, yeah, we, we walked. We just got here now. And she said, well, I'm so sorry. My husband was had an emergency, and he had to go to another village. And uh, we, we told our nephew to go and pick you up, but he didn't come. And we said, no, he never came. And so she felt really bad about that, that he had <laughs> failed in his mission. But what I realized was that he had been interfered with you know, to keep him from coming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
So it's an example of like when when there's an initiation happening, there's mystery. There's there's things that happen that you didn't plan for, didn't know were going to happen, and you got to roll with it. You got to you know just it's part of it. There's going to be uh, um, you know it's part of an initiation and. You can fight it, you can resist it, you can complain about it, you can do all these things that we usually do. That doesn't help at all, the slightest bit. It's only disempowering. So the only empowering thing to do is, is to to see it as part of the plan. Obviously as part of the plan because it's happening. And, uh, and plans change. And of course in the shamanic path, you never really quite know what you're in for. You know, I remember this phrase from a uh, a book called The Milagro Beanfield War, which I always remembered, and it said, if we knew what we were in for, nobody would do anything. You know, it was a little piece yeah. of wisdom from this old yeah. uh, old Hispanic guy, and, you know, I thought, God, if that is, that's totally true of the path of shamanism, you know. Mm-hmm. If you knew what you were in for, you probably wouldn't do anything, so... Anyway, um, that turned out to be one of the most powerful, magnificent experiences of my life. But if, you know, I had known ahead of time what was going to happen, I might have tried to avoid it. Right. And, uh, you know. Sounds like it was, was kind of unpleasant, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. yet it was absolutely life-changing. Mm-hmm. And we got, we, after we had some tortillas and beans, you know, at this little cafe, Lena and I jumped in our car and we drove a thousand miles home without stopping. After we wow. had stayed up all night, we were so incredibly energized by that experience and walking seven miles back in the, in the hot desert sun, something happened. We just we were so intensely energized that it, it just seemed like we got back home in a flash, even though it was a 24-hour drive. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure. It's, sure. It's sort of a classic shamanic wild-ass tale, you know. But, well, and all uh, the dimensions of everything kind. change. You know, the dimensions of time and space and energy, everything changes. Yeah, it's all, um, it's typical of shamanic experience, mm-hmm. you know, where time warps and your sense of what's true or real is, you know, kind of challenged. And, um, yeah, those are those are what I tend to call higher-centered experiences, you know. <laughs> and um, th- those are the ones that we all really want to have happen, but we're kind of afraid that they might happen. Right. Or we bail as soon as they start happening because they're uncomfortable. They're exactly. not the way we think yeah. it should be. Yeah. Yeah. So so you've written this book and it's given you this chance to look back at your your life of teachings, not that you're at remotely done with that. But with that perspective now, you know, as as you're coming into the elder phase of your life to teach what what would what would you encourage contemporary people to do less of relative to power uh 
Well, I would suggest that they really look at this business of control mm. and whether everybody seems to want control. Mm-hmm. But contr- do we really want control? Is it really important to be in control? In fact, being in control is one of our greatest obstacles. Because when we're in control, we eliminate, we try to eliminate being uncomfortable. It's like somebody saying, well, I'm in control of my emotions. I never let my emotions, you know, sort of push me around. Well, that's too bad. Because (laughs) sometimes letting your emotions come forward and direct you is the most powerful and wonderful thing you can do. And so this business about wanting to always be in control, in charge, I'm in charge of my life, I'm in charge of my work, I'm in charge of my relationships, well, that's the booby prize. So you get to be a little safer that way because you get to feel in control. But there's no power in that. That's false power. That's fake power. It's kind of like fake news, you know? (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. like fake power. It's the illusion of power, but it's really no power at all. Yeah. So similarly, with this with this reflection on your on your life and these teachings, what would you encourage contemporary people to do more of relative to power? Well, I would encourage people to um, first of all, I would encourage people to take steps toward handling more power in their lives. It, it's you know, it, in order to not avoid it, to, to get to get comfortable with the fact that, you know, one day we're all going to wield tremendous power, whether it's in this lifetime or not. But that's where we're all headed. So might as well start getting used to it. And this business I talked about earlier of um, being ready. So starting with baby steps, starting with what you are ready for, and leaving what you're not ready for for a little bit later, and doing and moving toward power incrementally. That I think people fall into the biggest the biggest trouble when they're arrogant, and they um, uh, they take a flying leap, and you know they're not ready. Mm-hmm. And you see that happen every day. Mm-hmm. So. So kind of to close here, one of my my favorite pieces from the book is just talking about your big three. So would you like to close the show here with sharing some about about power and and your and your big three? Uh, Sure. Um, The big three are gratitude, love and awe. And uh, those are three frequencies. They're very close, but they're slightly different frequencies. But they're like sun, water, and fertilizer for a plant. Plants need those three things. These gratitude, love, and awe are our, for human beings, are our food fertilizer. They're, they're like the fertilizer of consciousness. And um, so if you don't have gratitude, and you don't have any love in your heart, and you don't have any awe, then uh, you have no fertilizer. 
There's nothing that is going to get your consciousness to grow. So those three things have to be cultivated. And all the great teachers, the great saints, the, 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 the masters, the avatars, they all knew that. They all found that out. They all taught that in one way or the other. And they all spent a great deal of their lives in gratitude, in love, and feeling absolutely awestruck about the, the cosmos and all the things that are possible. Awestruck about spirit or whatever they, words they use for the creator or God. Uh, they would fertilize themselves constantly from moment to moment to moment. And through those three fertilizers, their plants grew into huge trees, which we all benefited from. So I can only encourage, and, and that's, just, that's basically where real, real, power, real power comes from. It, it's cultivated by those three frequencies that you cannot go wrong with. How can you possibly go wrong with gratitude, love, and awe? They'll always Thank take you in the right direction. Thank you, Jose. That's beautiful. <laughs> oh, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you very much for having me, and uh, I really enjoyed myself. Good. So, everybody, Jose's book uh, is called Encounters with Power, Adventures and Misadventures on the Shamanic Path of Healing, and it is available through Sounds True right now. It's a beautiful book with a wolf on the cover. And you can reach Jose at admin at thepowerpath.com. Um, the website is thepowerpath.com. Um, Jose, is the book available at all other normal places too, like Amazon and everywhere else? Everywhere. Yeah, Every all the usual sources. <laughs> everywhere. All the usual suspects. So um, I encourage you all to... Um, to to go out to buy the book and to read it and to learn from these stories about how is it that we actually make a bid for power, um, true power, um, through this perspective of shamanism. And so, Jose, I thank you. I thank your ancestors. I thank all of our ancestors for gathering around us here today. I give gratitude to the earth below and the sky above and to the hearts that unite us all. Thank you, everyone, and have a great week.